Now, how many, let me ask this question today. How many of you uh, have found that life is just moving at a very rapid pace? How many of you know that, that it's, it's just so quick and things are happening at, at such a level? I mean, it, it's, we just started 2010, and here it is, 2011. I mean, we, we are at uh, a new year, a new time. And, and I, I sometimes have some strange questions that I ask God. Does anybody ask God strange questions? All right, a few of you do. Maybe those of you watching, you do too. I just, I ask God strange stuff. Now, now some of you are very, uh, I, I guess you've got it all figured out. I, I've got some things I'm still working on. And, and I, I was, you know, as, as you kind of progress in years, and how many of you know that when you were a kid, it seemed like Christmas would never get here or the end of school would never get here. It's like, oh, it took forever. And now, you know, you got a few years perspective, and uh, you start a year and you turn around, and that year's what? It's gone. It's over with. And, and I was kind of thinking about that the other day, and I thought, you know what? Why did, why did God not create us uh, with the ability not to sleep? I mean, think about it. You waste a third of your life sleeping. Am I the only one who thinks these thoughts? I said, God, why, why didn't you, you know, I, could, I mean, eight more hours a day, what could I have gotten done if I'd had that from the time I was born until now? What could I have done with those eight extra hours? And, and then the Lord kind of reminded me, took me to the Scripture, uh, where it says that His mercies are new, what? Every morning. And I really believe that God kind of lets us restart Every morning we restart. Every week, you know, you got seven days, and, and I don't care how bad you messed it up last week, this is a new one. And, and you get to start all over. And then he gives us whole new years. Not only does he give us new days and new weeks, then he comes along once a year, and you get a brand new year to just kind of wipe out. How many of you are ready to wipe out some stuff from 2010 and, and just say, okay, I am ready for a new year, a new season, a new time in my life. And I, I think that's, I really do believe that that's why God gave us uh, this whole process of new days and new things. And so today I want you to take your Bibles and go to the book of Deuteronomy, uh, the ninth chapter, the fifth uh, book of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And, and I want to read to you a few verses of Scripture. And while you're doing that, let me welcome campuses today. And we're excited about what God is doing. We're excited about 2011 and what's going to be taking place in all of our lives. And I just want to encourage you today to hang in there. Let's get a hold of what God's up to. And let's see the benefits of the kingdom of God uh, being lived out in our lives. Look there in, in the book of Deuteronomy, the ninth chapter. Uh, and, and I want to kind of bring us to something here. Look in that first verse. We'll start with that, and then we'll go some other places. Uh, it, it, this is Moses. Let me set it up for you. This is Moses after the children of Israel have wandered around and, and been disobedient for 40 years, basically. And now Moses is giving them the last instructions, and he's telling them what's getting ready to take place as they go over uh, into the land of promise. And so beginning in verse 1, he says, Listen, O Israel. And so I would just say to you today, listen, child of God. Today you are about to cross the Jordan River to take over the land belonging to nations much greater and more powerful than you. They live in cities with walls that reach to the sky. Now, when, when you read that, when you look at this, you think, Moses, uh, you should have started this off a little differently. 
All right, I, I've been doing leadership stuff for a long time. And I found out that even if there's some really negative things, you don't talk about those at first. Right? I mean, you talk about the good things. You lay out all the great things that are taking place, uh, and, and you, you kind of put it out there because you know you get, you've got to deal with it, but you want to you get everybody feeling good first. Moses doesn't do that, does he? I mean, Moses just starts off and says, uh, hey, hey, guys, by the way, I want you to understand we're moving into something new, something that you've never seen, a place you've never gone. And he said, and yeah, by the way, that's some rough stuff getting ready to face you. Aren't you excited about this sermon? See, here's, here's what I found is that we, we've got to learn how to persevere through the tough times. We've got to learn. I'm going to use a term today. In fact, this is the title of the sermon today. I want to talk today to you about how to face into it. Now, that's a business term that's being used a lot in the last 10 years. Uh, but what that means is, is that you, you, you can't always be turning around and running. You've got to face into what's coming. The children of Israel are getting ready to face something new. They're going into a land they've never been in before. They're going to a place they've never experienced before. And it's kind of like all of us. Listen, we have not lived 2011 yet. I don't know what it's going to be like. I don't know what we are going to experience. But here's what I know. I know that God's got his hand on my life. And I hope he's got it on your life and that whatever you're going to face, that you're going to be able to come through whatever it is you're up against. Do, do you believe that today? Now, now look in the 10th chapter, if you would, and uh, let's read verse 12 and 13. He says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? This is after he's gone through, we're going to go into the land and all this. He said, What does God require of you? He requires only. And he, gives, he says, There's only four things he requires. That you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases Him and love Him and serve Him with all your heart and your soul. Verse 13, and you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Now, when you begin to look at this passage of Scripture, what you find is, is that as you face into uh, the future, there are going to be some things that you are going to have to understand, okay? And, and when, when you begin to look at that, there, there are some, some interesting things. Viktor Frankl, uh, who was a Holocaust survivor, and I don't know if any of you have ever read any of his writings, uh, he made a statement that I think is really good as you, as you kind of face into the future. He said this, he said, there is no suffering when there is purpose. Now let me say that again, there is no suffering when there is purpose, you say, oh, pastor, you know, I'm, I'm suffering. No, no, no. Remember the story of Joseph? He goes from the pit to Potiphar's house and gets thrown into prison and finally winds up in the palace. His brothers show up, and here's what he says. He doesn't say, oh, man, how horrible it's been, all the bad things I've gone through. Here's what he said. He said, that which you meant for evil, God's used for good. He said, I didn't suffer. He said, God has taken everything. You remember the scripture says, all things work together for good to them who are called of God and who are called according to his purpose. And so as you begin to understand that, you, you begin to see, look, here's what we do and here's how we go. Now, I want you to look in the ninth chapter and in, in verse number two, I, I, want, I want to talk to you today. Look at that, would you? It says, the people are strong and tall. Now, he's just told them that they've got these big, tall uh, 
skyscraper walls and cities. And then he says, oh, yeah, by the way, they're strong and tall, descendants of the famous Anakite giants. Now, he's just making it worse, isn't he? he just, he's just piling on, isn't he? And he says, you've heard the saying, who can stand up against the Anakites? I mean, doesn't that just make you feel fuzzy and warm all over? Hey, here's what I want to tell you. I want to tell you today that you're getting ready uh, to cross into God's promised land. You're getting ready to go in uh, to 2011, and it's going to be exciting, going to be wonderful. Oh, yeah, by the way, there's some tough stuff getting ready to happen. And here's, here's what I want to start with today. As you face into this next year, as you face into 2011, Number one is you need to expect difficulties. You need, don't, listen. How many of you had some difficulties in 2010 you didn't expect? I'm just waiting. I mean, you know what? Our our problem is, is that we want to live life with no problems. And that's a problem. Now, Pastor, I thought when I got saved, all my problems would be gone. Who told you that lie? Who who gave you that bit of bad theology? Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. He said, just get ready for it. You are going to go through some difficulties. You're going to experience some problems. But he goes on to say, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. How many of you love living in victory? How many of you enjoy victory? Do you like victory? Come on, do you really? I mean, man, isn't it, isn't it fun when, when you're in victory? Let me explain something to you. The only way to have victory is to have a battle. You can't have victory unless you've had a fight. You can't be on the mountain unless you've gone through the valley. You, you've got to come to that place. Whatever's going to be happening this next year, just understand that before the year is over, something is going to mess up your pretty little world. You say, Pastor, I can't believe you'd start a sermon about 2011 telling me that things are going to be bad. Well, Moses did. And he told the children of Israel, look, just get ready. Expect there to be some difficulties. Expect there to be some problems. I I, I want to tell you this. If we would learn to live that way, we wouldn't get so shook up when we have problems come along. I mean, what, what happened to us? Where, where did we get this idea that we can just say the right Scripture five times and all of our problems are going to be gone away? You know, it's abracadabra in the name of Jesus. Wave the wand and it's all gone. No, that's magic, not miracles. Right? Do I need to go down that road? Listen, most Christians want magic. They don't want miracles. Magic is an illusion based upon one person. Miracles are always based upon you and God. And, and God comes along and, and just tells you on the front end, look, just get ready. It, it's, it, I, I, I've got a good thing for you. It's going to be great. But before you get there, just get ready. It's not all going to be wonderful and just marvelous and just great things. It's not a fairy tale. It's life. And so you need to expect difficulties. Look in verse 3. He says in verse 3, but recognize today 
that the Lord your God is the one who will cross over ahead of you like a devouring fire to destroy them. He will subdue them so that you will quickly conquer them and drive them out just as the Lord promised. The second thing you've got to do is you've got to trust in God. Now, now Moses said, listen, there's big stuff over there. There's difficulties over there. But just know, before you ever get there, God's already gone. No, you, you missed it. You, you, you would have got more excited if you'd caught that. The Bible says it this way, no weapon that's formed against you is going to prosper. It doesn't say you're not going to have some weapons. It did not say you're not going to have some battles. It just says, ultimately, God is always going to give you the victory. We are going to triumph through Him. He's going ahead. The Scripture says it this way, before the foundation of the world, a lamb was slain. Before man ever messed up, God already provided the solution. Before you ever face the problems of 2011, God has already gone before you to take care of it. All you've got to do is rely and trust in Him. See, we, we, we try to do it too often in the flesh. We try to make it happen in our own ingenuity. We, we come to that place of saying, you know what, I think I can handle this. The, the longer I live for God, the less I try to handle I just come to him and say, God, it's, it's a mess. I have royally messed it up. Can you do anything with this? And he says, yeah, I'm in that business. I take ashes and I give beauty. I take mourning and I give joy. He said, that's my business. Just give it to me. He says, in, my, in your weakness, I'm made strong. See, a, a lot of us just need to go to him and say, here, Daddy, I broke it. You know, we just came through Christmas, and I guarantee you kids have already broken toys. And they just come, and they just hold it out, and they're expecting you to fix it. Right? And, and, and sometimes you can, and sometimes you can't. But the great thing about our Heavenly Father is, I don't care how bad you've broken it. I don't care how bad you've destroyed it. It doesn't matter how bad you've messed it up. If you just bring it to Him, He'll take all of your broken dreams, all of your brokenness, and He will put it back together if you'll only trust in Him. He can take a broken marriage, and He can put it back together. He can take a broken family, and He can put it back together. He can take broken dreams of your business, and He can can put it back together if you'll just trust him. So I don't know what happened in 2010, but I'm telling you, 2011, he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think according. I got to slow down. I'm preaching too much. According to the power of the Holy Spirit that works in you. I'm getting too old to do this. You, you, you got to come to that place where you understand Lord, there's giants in the land. There's walled cities in the land. But God says, I'm going before you as a consuming fire. And if you'll just trust in me, if you'll just believe in me, teenager, if you'll just hang on, God's going to be there. Mom and dad, if you'll just keep on trusting, keep on living, keep on being obedient to God, he is going to make a way where there seems to be no way. Jump to the 10th chapter. i got to get this thing wrapped up. Look in verse 12. And in verse 12, he says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? And I, I, again, let me bring that to us. And now, child of God, what does God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God, 
live in a way that pleases him, and love him and serve him with all your heart and your soul. He said, there's four things I want you to do. He said, there's four things I want you, uh, if, if you want to be my child, here's what you've got. Number one, you've got to fear God. Boy, that one, that one kind of brought up, we were here and now we went here. Pastor, what do you mean, fear God? I, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to be one of those people that has an unholy fear of God. I'm not talking about an unholy fear, but you need to have a holy fear of God. Now, some of us came through, you know, a generation uh, where, where they used to preach hell so hot. And, uh, you know, they, I, I can remember in the 60s and, and early 70s that, that any revival you had, any, of, any good evangelist had uh, a good closing story. And that closing story was about somebody getting killed in a car accident, somebody getting shot, some, I mean, some, something horrible and tragic just to scare the life out of you. And, and we, we, I, mean, we, I mean, I got, anytime they had an altar call, I'd, I'd get saved again. I mean, I got saved every, every night of revival. I, I, you know, <laughs> I did it again, you know, because, uh, man, I, I, was, I was so afraid of God, I, I mean, for days after those revivals, I'd try to stay close to my parents because I thought they were going to heaven, and I'd just grab them if they started going up. Because <laughs> you know, there was just this just, just unfathomable fear, and it's not talking about that, but it is talking about a reverence of God. And I want to tell you something. I think a lot of believers have lost their fear of God. You say, Pastor, why would you say that? Because I see how we live. If we really feared God and reverenced Him, we wouldn't just use any excuse to do whatever we wanted to. We, we would come to that place where we are trying to live a holy life before Him, where, where we're laying aside the sin and the weight that's holding us back from being everything that God wants us to be, that we're saying, Lord, I want to be pure and I want to be holy and I want to be upright before you. God, let there be this reverential fear of you because I know that one day I'm going to stand before you and I'm going to give an account for the life that I've lived. And so Moses said to the children of Israel, and I think God thunders to us today, number one, you've got to fear me. Number two, you've got to please him. Pastor, how do I please God? By fearing him. Say, really? Yeah. If I really fear God, then I'm going to please. I'm, I'm going to do everything I can. If I have a reverence for God, I'm going to find out what his word says, and I'm going to be obedient to his word. And I want to tell you, there are things in the word that I don't like. Amen? I mean, come on. I mean, when it, when, you know, the Bible talks about you need to watch what you say and not use profane words. I'm going to tell you, every once in a while. What's wrong with you? Don't look holy at me. Every once in a while, there is just a moment that I think, I still remember a word from back in the day <laughs> that would fit right now. And I'm saved. I'm even sanctified for some of you. But I want to tell you, I still remember the words. Now, I don't repeat them. I don't say them. But every once in a while, I think that one would fit really good right there. But the Bible says I can't do that. So I'm, right? So I'm going to live to please him. Why? Because I reverence him. And out of that, I'm going to please him. The third thing he said is, he said, you've got to love him. 
again, let me say this. I wish the church would fall in love with Jesus all over again. I, I, I wish it was more desire to be with the people of God and the things of God than it is to be at the next ball game. Oh, I'm getting in trouble. See, I, I, I wish we'd come to the place. I, I'm not against whoever your favorite team is. I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with any of that. But I want to tell you, would you spend as much money on the kingdom of God as you do on your greatest team's memorabilia? Oh, help me. I mean, we don't think anything of plucking down, you know, how much at one setting to go to a game. And then we come to the house of God. Am I getting on your nerves yet? We come to the house of God and we can't even give 10%. We can't even give less than a tip to God. And then we say how much we love him. Here's what he said. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll do what I tell you to do. Let's get off of that one. Fourth thing he said you've got to do, he said you've got to serve him. See, this whole thing, this third aspect here is this all helps me to maintain perspective as I'm going through something new. Let me tell you about new things. You're going to face new things. You're going to experience new things. Every year gives you new things. Every moment gives you something new. You haven't experienced yet. You haven't lived the next minute yet. You haven't lived the next hour yet. You haven't lived the next day yet. It is still in your future and you're going to experience it. So how do I experience that? I experience that by maintaining my perspective. And so I love the Lord. But not only do I love the Lord, I serve him. That's the fourth one. I serve him. You know, we're so caught up in talking about all of our rights that we forget that the word of God also says we're to serve the Lord. Now, I believe in the rights. I believe you have a right to healing. I believe you have a right to provision. I believe in all those things. But I also believe that I've got to learn how to serve the Lord. And I don't just serve him when everything's good. See, that's maintaining perspective. Listen, when, when everything's going great and you got plenty of money and all the kids are healthy and everything's wonderful, it's easy to live for God. But let the marriage get bumpy. Let the business start going south. Let the kids start raising Cain and Abel. And all of a sudden, it's not so easy to live for God. But if you maintain perspective... And you say, wait a minute, in 2011, I have made up my mind. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to live for God. Pardon what I'm going to say, come hell or high water, I am going to do what God has called me to do. I'm going to serve him because of what he's done. I'm going to keep my perspective right in the kingdom of God. The fourth and final thing, look in the 11th chapter uh, real quickly. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 24 says this. Wherever you set your foot, that land will be yours. The fourth thing you've got to do is that you've got to face into it. In other words, 
We've got too many Christians wanting Jesus to do everything for them. You ever been around people who can talk a good game? Let me ask a question. Have you ever been on Monday morning and listened to guys who start talking about what happened on Sunday in the NFL? Ever, ever been around those conversations? Well, man, if I'd been the quarterback, I'd have faded back to the left instead of to the right, and I'd have... Yeah, and the first time that 350-pounder came over and hit you, you'd be calling your mama and begging to go home. Come on, you, you know, it's, it's so easy to play yesterday's game. But you know what? It's today. It's 2011. What are you going to do with it? Well, pastor, if, if, if the Lord would just reveal to me what was going to happen in 2011, then I'd know how to handle it. He doesn't work that way. Well, if, if, you know, if I could just get in the right meeting and they would call me out and tell me whatever, then, then I would know what's going to happen. That's why the Bible calls it a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or a word of prophecy. It's not a whole life. It's not a whole year. It's just a glimpse. I mean, can you imagine Moses is standing there and Moses is giving instruction to all of these people about a new place and he knows he's never going to get to go. Because he's already messed up. God's already told him, I'm going to let you see it, but you're not going to possess it. And yet he is so willing at that moment to say, you know what? I am not going to just settle for what my life is or what my life can be. I am going to do everything I can to help the next generation to reach its destiny. I, I want to talk to some of us who may not have as long as we did have. Is there a possibility that God is speaking to you, that God is calling you not just to live 2011 with everything within you just for your life and just for what you can get out of it, but that God is literally saying to you that you may not fully possess everything that I have called for you, but there's a generation that has risen up behind you and that if you will allow the power of God to direct your life and you will stand up, I will in turn not only bless you, but I will bless generations that are yet to come. I, I want to tell you something. I don't know how many more years I've got. I hope I've got a lot. But I want to tell you something. If I've got 20 years or 25 years or hopefully even 30 years of strong leadership left in me, I hope that the day I pass on to be with Jesus, that Love and Truth Church moves to the next dimension of what God has. I don't want it to die when I die. 
I don't want it to be over with when my life is over with. I want to live life with such passion and such desire and just say, you know what? If God has started something inside of me, then I want him to complete it. And if he can complete it in me, then great, whatever I'm supposed to do. But there's a generation that is yet to come. There are some people who God's calling today. I want to tell you, there are people in 2011 who you haven't met yet, who you haven't talked to yet, who you haven't experienced being around them yet, that God is going to bring into your life, and you are going to have the ability to touch them, to minister to them, and their lives are going to be changed because you were willing to do something and to face in to your future. I don't care who you are or where you are. It's not too late. That's why God gives us new mornings, new weeks, and new years. Because I don't care about last year. 2010, bye-bye. It's over. 2011, I want to do everything God's called me to do. Hey, you know what? If you'll face it that way, you'll have some difficulties. You'll have some problems. You'll have some needs. But you'll also have victory. Study the children of Israel. Wall cities fall before them. They possess a land that nobody thought they could have. They lived in splendor that they didn't work for. The Bible says they were going to drink from wells they didn't dig. They were going to eat from vineyards they didn't plant. They were going to live in houses that they didn't build. Why? Because God says, I'm going before you. Whatever you need, I will be your provider. All you've got to do is you've got to step into the land. Don't sit back and wait another year for God to do something. How many times has God showed up in our lives and said, here's the land. Here's the new year. And we go through that year, and we get to the end of that year, and all there are are regrets. Instead of saying, no, 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 wait a minute. I'm going to grab it by its throat, and I'm going to live it to the best of my ability. Yesterday is gone. 2010 is gone. It's 2011. It's time to rise up and move into every blessing and every benefit that God has.